Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening. This is Hal Shirtliff with Camp Constitution Radio. Uh, the show is heard every Monday night on WBCQ The Planet, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, broadcast out of the beauty, beautiful Monticello, Maine, in Arista County, and also heard on Saturdays at 4 p.m. on ipmnation.com which uh, broadcast out of Concord, New Hampshire. And you can also find the show on YouTube. Uh, we try to upload them as quickly as we can. And we've been doing this show since January of this year, uh, of January of uh, 2015. And we have um, quite a few shows archived. And it is brought to you by Camp Constitution, which, among other things, runs a week-long summer camp, uh, next year's camp, it will be held at the beautiful Toanippi Christian Retreat Center. We've had it since every year since 2009, uh, from July 10th to the 17th. And uh, you can also go to our website to learn more not only about the camp itself, but some of the things that we do, some of the publishing, um, some of the books we published, and we have a blog. And I'd like to introduce our guest, who actually does write for our blog, uh, Publius Pulda. And, hello. Uh, hello, how are you doing? I am well, thank you. Well, thanks for coming on on this uh, this time of year. I know you're busy, probably, with family and such. But let me just, I have a little short bio to, uh, and then some personal things to add here. But uh, a retired litigation attorney who now writes and speaks extensively on the original intent of the U.S. Constitution. And you are quite a thorn in the side of the people <laughs> who not only despise the Constitution, but especially those who are trying to rewrite it through an Article 5 convention. And uh, you are probably a lady short and slight in size, but you must be one of the fear, fearfully uh, fearful-looking people because I see some of these comments by these men in Tennessee and other parts of the country. When you're in town, they just are afraid of you. So you must be one bad lady. <laughs> I'm a little old lady who's dreaming of to garden and tend her roses. I bet you have tennis <laughs> shoes too, right? <laughs> yes. Well, I want to thank you so much, and not, not just for coming on today, but for also all of the hard work. And I know that there's an old Southern expression that when uh, when you throw a rock at a pack of hogs, the one that howls is the one that you hit. And yes. I think you've been hitting a lot of hogs with your uh, incisive analysis of the dangers of an Article Five convention. Now, let me ask you: you've done a lot of history a lot of research on the founding of our Constitution and what the founders really wanted. Now, if you go to groups like Convention of States, you get the impression that every single founding father, that's all they ever talked about was having a convention. They wanted one every other day because it was a gift they gave us, and we must have one all of the time. But I don't think that's true. And so could you give your uh, perspective on that? 
Yeah, there's not a word of truth in it. Um, James, uh, George Mason of Virginia was very opposed to the new constitution. He wanted to stay with the Articles of Confederation. He complained and moaned about the new constitution. It appears, we don't know why the convention method of proposing amendments was added to the Constitution, and I know this because I have gone through James Madison's notes of his journal of the Federal Convention of 1787, and I have gone through every page, and I pulled out all the references to what became Article 5 of uh, of the Constitution, and I have a a paper on this on its own page on my website, and the name of the page is Article 5. It, and what's your website, too, so people uh, can know? We'll get it at the end of the show, too. Yeah, publiusholder.com. And if people go to my website and look at the Article 5 page, they will get my synopsis from Madison's Journal of the Federal Convention showing everything that happened regarding the development of Article 5 of the Constitution. It doesn't say why it was put in, but it appears that it was put in in an attempt to get George Mason and two others, Mr. Jerry and somebody else, uh, Randolph, Mr. Randolph, to sign the proposed Constitution. They wanted all the delegates who attended the convention to sign the Constitution. But those three still refused to sign the Constitution because the way Article 5, the final version of Article 5, still gives Congress extensive control over both methods of amending the Constitution. You know, Article 5 provides two methods of amendment. Congress proposes amendments and sends them to the states for ratification or rejection, or when two-thirds of the states apply for it, Congress calls a convention to propose amendments. All of our existing 27 amendments were made using the first method. Congress proposed them all. Now, one of the uh, one of, I think one of the beauties of the Constitution was that it was a very difficult to amend it. Yeah. And I think the founders specifically made it difficult. Now, on the Articles of Confederation, you needed you needed all states to sign on to any changes, but two thirds is a very hard threshold to reach, and it was done on purpose. But a lot of these supporters of Article Five just they kind of ignore that aspect of it. I'll say, oh, it was something that they gave us. It was a gift they gave us in case of things, times of times like we're in now. It's a well, biblical reference. They're not telling the truth. They're either deliberately lying or they're repeating what they've been told. Uh, from the very beginning, James Madison opposed the convention method. In Federalist Paper number 49, James Madison talks about why. A convention is not a good method to address breaches of the Constitution by a government. In Federalist Paper number 40, James Madison goes at length, basically saying, 
yeah, we exceeded our authority when we drafted a new constitution instead of proposing amendments to the Articles of Confederation, but the constitution we drafted is a really good one, and everybody should support it anyway, and even if we were wrong in writing a new constitution, we did it for the good of the country. And that's basically yeah. what Madison says in Federalist Paper Number 40. So you know what's fascinating? Madison knew that delegates to a federal convention could not be controlled. What's fascinating is that uh, people like Mike Farris, who is one of the top uh, uh, convention of states uh, supporters, I think he's obviously not the founder, but he's a close, uh, <clears throat> a top leader. He'll tell us that uh, that Madison, uh, just the opposite of what you said, and I've read Federalist 40, and I must have read it about 14, 15 times to say, okay, what am I missing here? What is Mike Farris, who's got a, who's a, not, not a stupid guy to say the least, what is he adding to this? What, what am I missing? And I read, I read this, I read pretty good English, and I don't see <laughs> what he's saying. And I don't, and what, why is he just twisting this? What's he taking out of this? Uh, well, not only is uh, Michael Ferris ignoring Federalist Paper Number 40 and Federalist Number 49, he's also ignoring James Madison's letter of November the 2nd, 1788, to Turberville, where Madison said he trembled at the prospect of an Article 5 convention because it would give dangerous individuals of insidious views an opportunity to destroy the very foundation of the fabric of our country. Now, That's the, uh... what James Madison said. Uh, Michael Ferris is ignoring those papers. He's got a very gullible audience who believes whatever he tells them. The Federalist Papers are over their head, James Madison's letter to Turberville is over their head, so they just believe what Ferris tells them. And he gets very angry when anybody in the audience dares question the great Mike Ferris. After all, he all by himself was <laughs> able to get the Senate to ratify, to, to denounce the treaty, I think the Treaty on the Child, all by himself, no help whatsoever, <laughs> simply testifying. Uh, you talk about arrogance, it's amazing. And, and, and he, I think he actually really. believes it. You know? um, <laughs> he may. Uh, but but yeah, getting back to the letter that was uh, uh, written to, by Madison to Tuberville, now the Convention of the States people tell us that, oh, he wasn't talking about an Article 5. He was talking about another uh, constitutional convention. And, of course, there's a big difference between the two. And, they, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, what's the timeline here? The Constitution became the law of the land when? When it was when, when, when did New uh, Hampshire... Except uh, the Constitution. June the 22nd, 1788. He wrote that letter uh, I'm sorry, in November. Uh, June the 21st, 1788, is when the Constitution was ratified. And Madison's letter to Turberville was dated November the 2nd, 1788. And, and they were about to seat the new government. was about to be seated, what, in January? So just another month or two that was to be seated in New York. And I know that a couple of states, even before the uh, New York, I think, and Virginia, both had uh, resolutions for an Article 5. Both these states, yeah. they ratified the Constitution, but they wanted the Bill of Rights. And, and so, so there was already two calls immediately. 
before Congress even sat. You mean applications? Applications, yes. Even yes, before yes. The, the new government went into operation, I think it was April 1789. And even before it went into operation, some of the states were clamoring for an article, for, for a convention. And James Madison warned in his, he specifically references Article 5 in his letter to Turberville. He's talking about the two methods of amending the Constitution. Right. He says that when the states want amendments, they should contact their congressional delegation and instruct their congressional delegation on the amendments they want. That's how James Madison said the states should go about getting the amendments they want. But it's very clear that Madison is addressing Article 5 of the Constitution. Exactly. Which had already been ratified. Now, uh, you have been speaking out against these uh, numerous calls. Uh, I know you travel to uh, to Tennessee. You live in Tennessee, but you travel through different states, Indiana. And and what is, um, when you speak to groups, uh, you speak to many groups who are indifferent, uh, they don't know, you get people on both sides of the spectrum there, uh, both sides of the issue. Um, and what type of, um, what is the biggest, uh, most of the questions you get, the people who support an Article 5, what, what are those types of questions that you get? Um, uh, well, actually, um, apparently I'm somewhat persuasive uh, because after I give speeches on an Article 5 convention, normally I get a standing ovation from the people <laughs> in the audience, whereas if some some hapless person from the Convention of States gang gave a presentation, they normally slink out of the room when it's all over, when, and people are lined up to thank me and hug me and, mm-hmm. you know, so... Um, um, the question like several times people have asked, why was it put in the Constitution? If it's such a bad idea, why was Article 5 put in there? Well, you know, just because something's in the Constitution doesn't mean it's a good idea and we ought to do it. Consider slavery. There were right. abolitionists at the um, Federal Convention of 1787 um, Alexander Hamilton was an abolitionist. He wasn't the only one. James Madison wanted to abolish the importation of new slaves immediately, but they had to compromise with the slave-owning states. The fugitive slave laws were an abomination. Article 4, Section 2, Clause 3. That violated God's law, the fugitive slave laws, but it was a compromise. There were mistakes, there were defects with respect to the election of the president and the vice president. That was fixed by the 12th Amendment. So just because something is in the Constitution doesn't mean it's a good idea and we ought to do it. I well, one of, the, one of the things that we're, uh, people oppose it, they say that, I remember I was testifying in New Hampshire, and the Convention of States supporter, uh, the, 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 the local New Hampshire, base, New Hampshire man, uh, his, the New Hampshire director, said that uh, we claim to be constitutionalist, yet because we oppose an Article 5 convention, we are not. We are full, we're hypocrites. 
And I wasn't able to testify <laughs> after him because I testified before him. Yeah. But the answer is very simple. Well, I'm against a tax increase. So that makes me against the Constitution since Congress has the right to collect and levy, tax, levy and collect taxes. So, uh, Or I'm against declaring war against a certain country because Congress yeah. can declare war, you and therefore the I'm an enemy of the Constitution. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That, and that's the Farris logic. Uh, it's interesting. People like Farris, most of these people just jumped on this bandwagon in the last couple of years, 2012 or uh, even 2011. I don't know if Farris had said much about it, during his long career since he showed up on the scene in the late 70s as a uh, homeschooled uh, advocate when there was a need, as more and more people were, sorry, to homeschool, there was a need to have homeschool uh, a law that specialized in that. Uh, and, of course, I don't want to get into that because I have, I'm a homeschooler and I've got a number of people who are not happy with what they do, but a lot of people are. But that's another topic for another time. Uh, if he was such a staunch constitutionalist all these years, why didn't he take a stand on this issue back in the 80s? And what's fascinating is that he was against the um, the amendment, the so-called Equal Rights Amendment, rightfully so, uh-huh. for the same reason. You know, uh, we should uh, he he should be against his Parental Rights Amendment, which uh, which always gives the the final say to the state under this no- notion of the. Um, uh, what's the term? Uh, states, um, oh, uh, compelling state interest. What a dangerous term that is. Oh yeah, oh yeah. His parental rights amendment delegates power over children to the federal government. You know, I, our I, constitution is one of enumerated powers only. Depending on how you count, we only delegated some 18 to 21 powers to Congress over the country at large. We never delegated power over children to the federal government. Michael Ferris's phony parental rights amendment delegates power over children to the federal government. If you read the amendment, a lot of people will read it and say, well, what's wrong with that? But it always, when the federal government uh, has that kind of power, the Congress or the Supreme Court determines the, the rights of the child. So, so yes. you can rightfully oppose, you see, I think the, the goal was to oppose a U.N. treaty on the child. And he didn't see, he's never taken a position against getting out of the U.N. He doesn't care about that. He just doesn't want this treaty because it may directly apply to homeschoolers. We don't care if you send soldiers all over the world to die in your New World Order, uh, UN-operated mill. No, that's, that's something he doesn't want to touch. Uh, but this one directly affects homeschoolers. Why don't we just, why, if, with his large homeschool uh, group, why doesn't he advocate getting us out of the UN and all the people he reaches, if they, if they understood that, then I'd say, fine, we wouldn't have to have an amendment simply to deflect the externalities of one, one, uh, one un, uh, illegal UN treaty. He should, if he's the constitutionalist, he should be saying any treaty with the UN is null and void on its face since the UN is not a country. It's a collection of third world misfits and socialists and dictators. Not one elected official is at the UN. We have no business making treaties with these rascals. That's what he should be advocating if, if he was a true constitutionalist. Well, it, it's even more profound than that. Um, I've got two papers on the treaty-making power of the United States, the federal government may only lawfully make treaties when the Constitution authorizes them to act on a subject. For example, 
the Constitution authorizes the federal government to get involved in international commerce, international uh, relations, and war. So accordingly, the President and the Senate may lawfully make treaties on those objects. Article 4, Section 8, Clause um, Clause 8, permits um, Congress to issue patents and copyrights. Accordingly, it would be proper for the United States to enter into international treaties involving copyright protection. Protection, But yeah. since children are not an enumerated power, since mm-hmm. families are not an enumerated power, the federal government has no lawful authority to make treaties on those objects. Accordingly, any UN treaty which pretended to address the rights of the children would be unconstitutional as outside the scope of powers granted to the federal government. That's the argument which should be make uh, which should be made. Now here's the poison pill in this. With Michael Ferris's proposed parental rights amendment, power over children would then be an enumerated power. That would give the federal government authority to enter into the UN Treaty on the Rights of the Child, because then children would be an enumerated power. See how vicious and deceptive that is? It's mind-boggling. Now, of course, he may not understand what he's doing. I have to consider that he just doesn't know what he's doing. Well, you, you would you want a man with his credentials though and his background. It's it's hard to plead naivete. Um, you know, it's interesting too. <laughs> his parentalrights.org group. He's got a man uh, like Grover Norquist uh, on his yes. board of directors. Yes. Now, it's possible to have a friend or a colleague who sort of uh, uh, changes positions. And uh, of course, I don't think Grover Norquist was ever a conservative patriot. No. I think he was a conniving neocon. But I could yes. see you can be fooled by people. But if somebody shows up to my meeting telling me I ought to. Uh, encourage the support and participation of Muslims, marries a Muslim woman, and belongs to a group, uh, and not only did he belong, but he was an advisor to a group called Go Proud, a homosexual organization, and and your organization rep, you know, represents mainly Christian conservatives, I would say, you know, Grover, it's time for, you to, for us to part ways. In fact, just yeah. the opposite. He actually uh, defends him to the hilt. Um, yeah. And he also, Grover also was involved with this uh, very secret, uh, secretive, I should say, but uh, very powerful organization called the Council on Foreign Relations. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you judge a comp- person by the company he or she keeps, and that's definitely, to me, a big knockout factor. Uh, well, let's get back to the Article 5. we get about, let's see, about 10 minutes left. Yeah, eight minutes left. Boy, time, time goes quickly. Um, what, how, do you, how do you handle this one? And you and I, I think, would acknowledge that we have a runaway Congress or we have uh, federal government is usurping its mandate at the state, at the federal level, uh, Congress, Supreme Court, White House, et cetera. So what other remedy is it? Isn't it right for the states to, to take a stance on this? That's what we hear. Well, so how, would, how, how would you address that? 
You know, that's very interesting. Um, the Convention of States people are pretending that the states are victims of federal tyranny. Mm-hmm. But let's consider this. How much of each state's budget uh, revenue comes from federal grant money and federal funds? An average of 32 or 33 percent of the state budgets, of of the the state revenues, come from federal funds. In other words, the states have been bribed to sign on to these unconstitutional programs. In Tennessee, one of our best state senators uh, filed an Obamacare nullification bill. But the fiscal note attached to her bill said that if Tennessee nullified Obamacare, Tennessee would lose $6 billion in federal funds. Common Core, I have been informed that Tennessee was paid one half of a billion dollars to sign on to Common Core. The states are not victims of federal tyranny. They are in enthusiastic participants in federal tyranny. They did it for the money. They're willing accomplices, and they have been yes. for well over 100 years. Yes. Uh, you argue longer than that, but for quite a while, uh, they've been participating. In that. In fact, when I, when I give presentations on the subject and they tell us, you know, uh, states would never do anything unreasonable, they would never ratify any unreasonable mm-hmm. amendments, I says, really? I said they ratified the uh, the 16th Amendment, income tax. They right, and most of these people who hear this don't even know what to talk. They don't know what the amendments are. They just think they right. think they're constitutionalists and so forth. They ratified the 17th, and this was a hundred years ago. The 17th gave their power. They said we we will no longer the state legislatures will no longer um, we will no longer uh, appoint. U.S. senators at the, at the state houses, the state capitals, the legislatures, we allow this to be a general election. So we took that power, took that power away from the state governments. And, and I look at all of the things states do without dumb things, without an Article Five convention, like re, so-called redefined marriage. They've accepted now Common Core, as you know, was not necessarily voted on by legislatures. It was by they bypassed, but it's right. been around for five years, and they haven't gotten rid of it in too many states. And then you get things like Agenda 21, and uh, a few states have passed resolutions, and in some cases have uh, have gotten rid of some aspects of it. But there's still about it. Every single state, all 50 Republican, Democrat majorities, what have you, have embraced Agenda 21. So yes. uh, to tell me that these same people uh, who do all these things that give and they give us a lot of crazy gun control bills and a lot of I mean yes. bathroom bills, my goodness, they want. You know this transgender nonsense. They they accept they get this. They get federal grant money. They <laughs> <laughs> get federal money. They're for sale. That's right. So uh, so uh, now let me. Um, what is your um, what is your take? Do you think we'll get one? Um, I'm optimistic. I I like. To, I'm not a I'm not a Pollyanna, but I'm of the opinion that um, this we, we I thought uh, you know a couple of years ago it looked pretty it looked pretty insurmountable that we would not be successful. And I say, you know, we just got to keep on keeping on. There'll be more and more people coming to our help. I know in 2011, I was at that Harvard event. Um, I was trying oh. to get, I was trying to be a panelist 
You yeah. know, they wouldn't even oh, respond. Okay. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, uh, but uh, anyway, I was there as a journalist uh, for a day. A colleague yeah. of mine was there a day before. And in the wake of that, it took a little while, like a, almost a year until uh, Mark Levin's book came out. And then bingo, it looked like everybody was advocating one. But little by little, people got, you know, people got the information. And we testified at I, 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 New England region in New York. And sometimes these people would have lots of folks on the other side, all, you know, making a big scene at these events, big carnival. But when the, when the votes came, a lot of times, you know, you got two or three people testifying with sound facts that we're able to, uh, to defeat that. So what is your, uh, what is your uh, prognosis on this issue? Oh, hell, I don't know. Um, I uh, work almost full-time trying to stop an Article 5 convention. Um, I, I just don't know. Um, I have been stunned by the viciousness of the attacks on me and uh, others. Um, nothing to do with the merits of our arguments. No. Nobody can point out any error I've made in my arguments, just nasty personal attacks and insults. Let me say one thing about Mark Levin's proposed uh, liberty amendments. I have a paper on that. There's something very interesting about Mark Levin's proposed amendments. Every single one of them increases the power of the federal government by legalizing powers the federal government has already usurped. Uh, we have uh, we have one minute left, so let's uh, wrap it up. Uh, how can people get a hold of you? you uh, what information you have to offer? Um, uh, um They can get to my website, and I have a, a a contact page. Ask questions, so I'm very easy to reach. Um, my um, Email address is publiusholder at gmail.com. I'm very accessible. As I said, this is what I do in my life. I teach and, uh, about Article 5, the Constitution, and I answer questions, write, and speak. So anybody, any of your listeners who have a question, I'm available. Okay. Well, thank you so much. We will stay in touch, and I hope someday to meet you sometime in the not too distant future. I uh, hope so. God so bless well. you for yeah. God bless you for all your hard work, and may you and yours have a uh, very happy new year. And uh, you've been listening to Camp Constitution Radio on WBCQ the Planet. Uh, thanks for listening. Good night, and God bless. How?
with Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.